Jerry, how are you? Good to have you with us. I'm good, Eric. How are you? Uh, brilliant, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, where's home before we start? Where is where is where are you broadcasting live from? I'm broadcasting live today from Glasgow, East End of Glasgow. Uh, right. We recently moved into a new flat a couple of months ago, so just getting used to the new space. Yeah, absolutely. Was that was that a, a lockdown sort of COVID related move? Was that during the lockdown phase and all that you moved house? Uh, after after the main lockdown. Um, in between what is now a second lockdown right um but yeah it's it's it was we we're going to be around in the east end of glasgow for a while now um so we decided to buy into the market just now quite right too quite right too so we're going to pick up on some of the travels that you've done in your life because you've had quite an interesting life in terms of uh, in terms of what you're doing just now and in terms of where you've been right so that's uh, that's that's got an interesting element to this so what i'd like to do um for those who don't know you is Clearly, we'd like to build up to extincts. That's something we'd like to talk about today because it's the reason you're wearing the t-shirt, the hoodies behind you, and yes. it's a it's a lovely thing that you guys are doing. So so let's let's build up to that. But if we could just to unpack it a little bit um, and just to put a bit of context around it, just to let people get to know you, um, can we go back in history from you know wh where you grew up, where you went to school, and how you got into the sort of CI business improvement world? Yeah, so I. Originally from the South Lanarkshire area, Kirluk is my hometown. I still have a number of family who are based there. Um, school, family life was typical, uh, you know, pretty stable, good fun. Um, small town community, which uh, I used to think was the centre of the world. Like nothing <laughs> else existed round about it. Um, yeah, and... and after school, I, I couldn't really decide what I wanted to do at, at university, what, what to study for, what to aim for. And so I actually just got into the habit of doing work, as in three months, six months types of work uh, in and around South Lanarkshire. And then for some reason, not quite sure how, but I ended up working with a, a large global corporate entity in the energy business. and what I thought was going to be maybe a year or two based in Glasgow, doing some, some new exciting work based in the city, it ended up being an 18 year career. Really? Yeah, so um, never planned out that way. Never ended up going back to university either. Not yet right. anyway, maybe right. something in the future. Yep. And so I guess uh, I never really planned to go into this sort of continuous improvement, transformation, lean, agile type of consultancy work never really wasn't really a plan it just kind of accumulated through different pieces of work and assignments in that 18 years career and then at some point during that 18 years um, I went and did the official certifications credit accreditations really enjoy helping the people within the business overcome the challenges that we're facing um, and yeah that's that's kind of how I segued into the career, which is, is, as I say, was an 18 year career, which took a turn around about three years ago, which we'll come on to. But yeah, that, yes. that, that was the mainstay, the, the 18 year with this global client, yeah. Very good. And, and uh, so, so you're, you're inside that enormous organization, um, analyzing processes, I guess you get into Lean and Six Sigma and all of that sort of stuff. Um, 
did, was it was it clear from the outset that this was going to be a sort of passion for life, a sort of not, not a passion for life, but a passion that would extend for life or, or through a large portion of your career? Uh, or was it something that you just you just sort of blinked and suddenly you've been doing it for five, ten years? That's a nice way of thinking about it. <laughs> um, I think it was always I think I always enjoyed solving problems. Like when I was early on in my career, I was known as go to Jerry, he'll solve it. Right. Um, I think I think I eventually realised that I don't know how to solve everything. Thankfully, that's that's a good thing for us humans to understand yeah. <laughs> on an individual level. Um, but also, I began to realise that why is the same person coming to me time and time again for help? What? Why can't I help them think through the problem? Right. And and really, that was where uh, sort of lean thinking started to come in, problem solving, and how do I build the capability in others? Um, so quite a lot of the sort of mid to end of that 18 year period, yes, I had learned the skills, the tools, the techniques, but it was actually about building the internal capability in others to be able to do it. That was that was a big part. And that's the part I actually enjoyed. Um, there are other parts of it which I did not enjoy. Um, as anyone who's listening to this who knows statistics or six sigma um that data analysis statistics side is not my forte right i understand it i know that what it's meant to do i can get on with it deliver i don't enjoy it i enjoy the people interaction and the development and solving so, the problems so your front of house you don't want to be stuck in the kitchen yeah well <laughs> I, I, I or a bit of both yeah, but I would rather not be sitting behind a computer screen working with tons and tons of data. I would rather get hands-on, roll up the sleeves, get practical and work with people to, to solve whatever they're facing. Yeah. So for those who, I mean, I, I'm guessing that most of the people listening to this will have a, a general understanding. Maybe some don't, right? So if you are a Lean Six Sigma uh, CI type person within an organization or going into an organization, what do you do? How do you, how do you, what's the elevator speech on what you would do, what those people do that, that are like you? Thanks, Eric. You didn't print me for that one at all. <laughs> um, what do I do? I look at the area of the business or the business itself. I look at what people are struggling with in terms of either their day-to-day job, like what's getting in the way of them having a good day, also help leaders think through what do they need to go after? What do they need to unlock in their organization to deliver either their goals, what they've budgeted for, or take advantage of an opportunity they wish they'd time to take advantage of? And really, I bring that sort of trusted advisor lens. Um, it's, it's, it's unlikely that I walk in there knowing exactly how to solve the problem. But through the sort of observation of how things are working or not working, asking questions, getting groups of people together, framing a problem and collaborating together to work through it. You know, I'm not the expert in every problem. The people closest to the problem are generally the experts because they see it day in, day out. They feel it day in, day out. But they're probably too close to the problem. So, yeah. People like myself will go into an organization with that fresh eyes lens um, and bring the 
once we see and observe things and understand why they're happening, then we can bring tools and techniques that maybe the organization or individuals didn't know about. Yeah. And that's the practical element. We, we, we bring practical tools that when people adopt and know how to use them, um, it frees them up, it, it gives them the boost, it overcomes the challenges they had and gives them a positive impact. Lovely. I think that's a beautiful way to put it. Thank you so much. So for anybody out there who was wondering what this lean malarkey, Six Sigma, CI, Scrum, Agile, wh whatever it might mean, that's that's it in a kind of nutshell. You know, way more technical, clearly, but yeah, that's 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 it. Thank you so much. So so you're doing that for the, the big global uh, energy company um, and you get taken abroad, right? That's part of the deal. Yeah, around, around about um, halfway through the 18 years, um, it really well. It wasn't, it wasn't part of the deal. It wasn't as if I signed up in day one going, "Yeah." But, <laughs> but quite interestingly, one of the first jobs I did was get sent. Our first couple of years, one of the jobs it was a great, you know, six months in Dublin to go and work with a one of the offices in Dublin and work through some of the issues and change some of the stuff that was going on. So as a as a sort of twenty year old being told, "You're going to go to Dublin. You're going to get put up in a." nice little apartment you can fly back and forth whenever you want and it was crazy it's, it's let me let, let me think about it <laughs> um it took me a while i think about a nanosecond to, to agree to that but you know it, it sounds glamorous and stuff but it, it really was hard work but later on in the 18 years um lucky enough my wife and i were lucky enough we 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 spent some time in kuala lumpur uh, for a couple of years North Canada, we spent, you know, a few years there. Um, we spent some time in Italy and we've spent some time based in Southeast Asia and Borneo. So we were, you don't realise it when it's happening, but going back to that point of, you, I thought Kaluk in South Lanarkshire was the centre of the world and, and going around and experiencing that, realising just how little I knew about the world yeah, was really eye-opening. Um, and entirely grateful for the experience and everything that brought with it even the pain that it brought with it in, in terms of some of the jobs and some of the aspects but being able to travel the world and see things from others perspective out with your own bubble is is invaluable to to the sort of route that i'm now on big time big time um however you saw some things that sort of etched themselves on your on your on, on your mind um particularly in terms of the environment uh and and things like that i just want to walk us through when you had some of these kind of like were they life-defining moments when you when you when you looked at some things and saw some things that were happening in in, in these areas that you were in um it's hard it's hard to say hard to put it into life-defining but definitely aha moments you know right. Um, for the first couple of assignments where I was abroad, you know, you never really clocked that you were in a, an area of privilege, a, a role of privilege, and you just thought you just thought it was the norm that you were going through, and, and then you began to realise that as you grow accustomed to what was happening locally, especially within the communities you were working with. Actually, things were not as rosy as what they seem. Um, we definitely in Southeast Asia. In Southeast Asia, I, I mean, the development 
rapid development in Southeast Asia, uh, modernization of a lot of countries, on the face of it looks amazing. It, it feels amazing. You can feel the energy when you're there. Actually, there's quite a lot of downsides that we started to spot. Um, we, we started to see where cities and towns were growing. It would encroach on agriculture and in Southeast Asia in particular, palm oil plantations. Yeah. Um, and when they were being encroached on, they would sell up that land for a premium so developers could develop on it. And then they would get land which was literally tropical, natural rainforest. They would burn it, clear it, and then expand their palm oil plantation. And when when we were there, we began to realize, or we began to realize that something didn't quite fit. We thought the picture of the world was pretty clear, but something definitely didn't fit with yeah. it. And then we began to realize that we ourselves were part of, if not a major contributor to the problem. Um, we flew around the world doing different things. That's a problem. Yeah. We, we now, four or five years ago, to now there's a big conversation change we all now know the impact or the majority of us now know that impact so that was a bit of an aha moment that we were contributing negatively when it came to palm oil plantations and i don't want to pick on plant palm oil plantations as say because they're not the only ones and they're not all bad um right. but palm oil was just we found out that palm oil was in everything yeah when i say it, everything i mean everything in our kitchen, everything in our bathrooms, everything. And we went, we're the ones buying the stuff that's driving this expansion. Um, so yes, it's good from a country's economic GDP development type of thing. Um, but it was kind of a number of aha moments where we thought, sort of went, this is not good. Um, so we started, um, my wife especially started doing fundraising events uh, while I was working and while other people were working and she had an audience with people who were in the same situation where they, they were abroad living, working and they managed to do quite a lot of good fundraising for biodiversity like Orangutan Appeal UK for instance to for some of the rehabilitation centres there. Um, Southeast Asia has, has a particular issue with burning of rainforest at a certain type of year, same, certain time of year. Right. And the local firefighters are not really funded well. So there was a lot of fundraising going on to buy equipment to then ship to the firefighters to tackle the rainforest blazing. So we started doing that. And that's kind of where started visiting some of the sanctuaries and, and we didn't know what to do more than general fundraise at that point. Yeah. Um, but there was definitely a switch, a few aha moments within a space of about a year and a half that really contributed to the shift that, that, that we made afterwards. Very good. So, so your wife's doing all this sort of fundraising and stuff like that. And uh, I guess, I guess you came back to the UK or did you, did you start sort of eking into what you're doing now then? When was the, when was the change? I think I think the, the the main change was when we were back in the UK. Um, uh, assignment had finished in Southeast Asia. Didn't really want to be uh, aging parent. Parents was also a, a thing. There was a couple of scares. Uh, 
<laughs> when we were in Southeast Asia and the government had our passports to do visa, work visa renewals, etc. Sure. And we got the dreaded phone call of, you know, parent X is in hospital, um, needs to go in for emergency surgery and you can't do anything, you're stuck. Yeah. We, we decided to come back to the UK, be closer to family. Um, the only place I could actually go at that point was a job in London. And I, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you know, back in London, everything will feel back to normal. In inverted commas, whatever normal is these days. Whatever that is. Exactly. Um, and it didn't happen. Within a very small number of months, I found myself doing the job I quite like doing, but really just not enjoying the situation I was in. Right. Uh, and I, I began to realize that I don't actually know where this job is taking me. I don't know the purpose of, apart from the day-to-day help and interaction, I, I actually don't know what the purpose of what I'm doing is. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I had a chat with some of the you know, mentors and friends and HR people within the organization, they were trying to help me find a path out. But the path out was going to take four, five, six years. And I'm just like, mm, doesn't feel right. And no. I began to worry for uh, myself um, that I would end up just staying in the job because it was stable, staying in the type of work I was doing, um, staying with a big organization. And I would end up 10 years down the line really regretting it. Yeah. Um, so that 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 was that was the, it was really in the UK that that, that that all came to the head. So you made a, you made a, a decision to take a new path. I did, I did. Um, and and on that road, on that path, you dis- discovered something about about what maybe your purpose was here. Is that um, is that fair to say? Do I truly understand what my purpose is? Probably not. <laughs> I, I found a different purpose, maybe. It right. is definitely, definitely the way to frame it. So, yeah, I I had a look, and there was this organization called on, onpurpose.org, um, and they, they put on an amazing one-year program where it's very difficult to get into. Um, didn't find that out when I first approached them, but the process <laughs> they went through and really what they do is, is they take people who already have an established career, tip, typically seven to 10 years in, in their career. I was a bit of the outlier and older. Um, and what they do is they actually teach you sort of social le- entrepreneurship, social entrepreneurship, social leadership. So how do you, it was, a, it was like a very, condensed MBA, but from a positive social impact or a positive environmental impact. Wow. Um, it was a paid program. So I was paid to be on it, a, a small um, sort of steep end salary. And really it was a hands-on practical approach, which. Yep. Perfect. So that year I spent six months with a tech for good company called Lightful, awesome startup. Complete. I went from, you know, a company with ninety to hundred thousand people to, to a company of forty. Yeah. <laughs> um, and in the space of six months, I had to deliver quite a strategic piece for them. So it was amazing. But it I guess, me- I guess, to the key people within that group of forty, having 
having that breadth of knowledge and experience that you brought from that 90 to 100,000 person company and where you've been in all of that it must have been a, a management in heaven, maybe. For some, maybe. Um, others, <laughs> others found it overpowering and, and yeah. a little bit intimidating. But once they got to know me and once I got to know them, it, it was just it all was gelled. Fine. Yeah, exactly. Um, the other sort of six months of that was was interface and interface make flooring. Um, but they're pioneers in the sort of circular economy, um, low carbon. So, so the big thing just now is a lot of companies talking about net carbon, carbon neutral. Um, two years ago, two and a half years ago, they were launching their first carbon negative pro- product. And they had gone through the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, stripping out carbon from their products, their factories, their supply chain. If you ever get a chance, there's a, the, the book Ray Anderson, um, it's, it's uh, Confessions of a Radical Industrialist. I can't remember the name of it. I'll, I'll ping you the name of it. Um, Please do. I'll put it up on the on the thing for everybody else. But he's one of the, the four thinkers. He was an industrialist, very successful, uh, you know, had, had carved out a global market for himself in the flooring industry. And, and someone actually just asked him, Do you, what's the impact you're having on the world and how are you going to reverse that? And he couldn't answer it. And he just started a journey of 20, 30 years of, of doing that. And a lot of carbon neutral and net carbon type approaches um, a lot of companies look at their case study and what they've done. Um, and I got a chance to work with their innovation department um, alongside an amazing woman called Augustina uh, Memoli. Um, and we had a great time. And, and within that six months, we set up reuse, repurpose uh, partners who would take flooring, which was destined for landfill, and reuse it within charity, community, and um, that type of uh, sector, or they would repurpose the flooring into other products and so that they could extend the life cycle of the materials rather than put them in landfill. So that, that year just broke me out of the sort of corporate model um, career, career path I was on. It was a shock to the system. I bet. Yeah. Um, so that was that was the whole uh, on purpose thing. So you're you're beginning to really alter your perspective on what this could be all about. Um, so let's let's. There were some. So the interface piece was was really interesting too. But let's uh, let's take it right up to the the, the the present day and let's talk about uh, extincts. Where did the idea for it come from? What was the kind of root of all of this? And just explain and unpack what it's all about, because I think it's fascinating. Is this a, is this a three-hour Joe Rogan podcast? Uh, well, well, if you want it to be. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't have any, I don't have any weed or bourbon. <laughs> no, let's not go down that route. Let's not go down that route. Let's not go down that route. Um, but yeah, uh, so uh, I'm one of these people that wake up at two o'clock in the morning every two to three weeks, just my mind just wakes me up racing ideas and I kind of got into a, a routine of just writing them down there's no point in trying to fight it when you're that wide awake at that time in the morning um and what kind of happened is I had been at a tech for good conference 
and it was about blockchain and um, there was really a call to action to say, where's the case studies for using blockchain in the positive social impact, positive environmental impact space? Right. The tech companies that were there were really asking the leaders of charities to say, give us your case studies and we'll work with you to do it. Right. Um, unbeknownst to me, the person sitting beside me at that conference was actually in charge of the whole entire thing. And we had a conversation, we had a conversation about, um, you know, blockchain's very speculative. There's, you know, the famous ones, Bitcoin, you know, the speculation, high, low, high, low, high, low, high, low. And I said, you know, it would just be good to have a fun element to blockchain that's not speculative. And it would be good to try and say, well, how do we get the next generation to actually shape blockchain for good? And we had this conversation during the conference. And fast forward to that morning, the morning after, I woke up at two o'clock and had an idea about uh, blockchain digital collectibles. That was it, as a test case. Sent it off to him and sort of says, you know, we could do this, digital collectibles um, in blockchain. You would never lose your uh, collection because blockchain is forever, all of that stuff. Any surplus goes to charity. That was the original genesis of of Extincts. Um, We actually worked with a company for a good two or three months, uh, spent some money research, developing design, uh, the company three-sided cube in, in Bournemouth, um, great ideas, got this idea for this rewild the world game. Like, you know, your collectibles, you would build up your collection, you would put them on a, a virtual earth. All of this type of stuff. I, I, there was lots to it. Yeah. Anyway, we ended up getting the quote estimate to build it. <laughs> and That's then, a- we need That's to not it. such a great idea. <laughs> um, so, yeah, let's just say there was a figure of north of 300,000 just to get the first part of it up and running. Holy um, moly. At which point the real boss of the idea went, no way. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> um, and maybe about a couple of weeks later, I was in front of a couple of angel, angel investors having conversations with them, and they just looked at me and went, you're not going to spend 300,000, you're going to spend close to a million trying to crack this. And I just went, no, nah. it's, it's, it's a not, it was, it was, the idea was sparked because of this blockchain conversation. But interestingly, I, I remember two weeks later, I had an idea because one part of the research talked about how kids love collecting things. Yeah. And how if those collections also, give them some level of learning and education, mm-hmm. it's double as powerful. And at that point, we just, we just that was when Extincts really was, was born in terms of an idea. We, we just went, hold on a minute here. Or, we don't need to use blockchain to do good. We want to help animal conservation. We want to help biodiversity. We want to make sure that the next generation don't make the same sort of assumptions and mistakes we've made or, or we're never privy to the information to make the choice. Yeah. Um, so we decided at that moment, how do we mobilize the next generation of animal protectors? Oh. And, that, and that was the founding mission statement 
for Extincts, the community interest company. My goodness me. So, so what is it? What is it today? Just in layman's terms, of just to, to entice people to go along and have a look about what it is. Okay. What What is it? So, Extincts itself is a community interest company. So, we are a social enterprise. We have an asset lock, which means that our profits, one hundred percent of our profits, um, we have an asset lock that says no more than. 30% of that can be given to any shareholders, owners, anything like that. So basically we lock in and we say 70% minimum of our profits in surplus will go to animal conservation charities. Right. We can talk about some of them in the future. So that's that's what we are as an entity. Our mission, as I say, is to mobilize the next generation of animal protectors. The way we've approached it is digital experiences. Right. So we have this long-term mission to augment um, the virtual world with real-life interactive learning activities. We're a little bit away from that just now, but what we do have, what we do have is an app, uh, Apple, Google stores, um, and that app is basically a digital collectibles game. So it's set in space in the future, there's a professor in space who's trying to rewild the Earth now that right. it's recovered from, from our interactions with it. And you log into the game and you've got your wee avatar who's helping the professor collect basically bits of, uh, of information on animals. So we've got 45 animals who are, are, are from the um, IUCN uh, endangered list of which there's 32,000 species on there that they've identified as um, threatened with extinction. We've chosen 45. Um, and what we've done is we've, for each animal, we've created four bits of information, four collectibles. Think about it as a digital sticker collector. Right, got you. And what we've done is we've tried to build it around a community where the app users can get cards, a bit like a sticker book card, get some duplicates, trade them with their friends the way they used to do with, you know, trump cards, with sticker books. I, I used to do the, the FIFA um, sticker book type stuff. Yep. Panini. Panini. Yep. 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 Panini sticker books. Um, so you trade duplicates. Uh, so we've got that up and running. Um, we've got some early interest, uh, but it's this chicken egg thing. You know, yeah. you, need, you need the community to, to keep it interactive and going, but you're starting off without the community, so how do you keep it going? So we, we've, we've also included some, you know, uh, mini games, which allow people to have a bit of fun and then increase their collection through, through the mini games. Um, and each, each animal piece of information uh, has information on like habitat or size or what they eat. You know, stuff like that. Very good. And, and this is our original piece, our original yeah. product. Um, but we very quickly, uh, we, we, we also realized that um, independent indie app developers, um, there's, there's not a lot of revenue in that, you know, without using manipulative techniques, which, which we're trying very desperately not to, we're trying to stay very much away from that. Yeah. That's the whole tech for good angel yeah. on, my, on my shoulders. <laughs> um, so we, we, we 
also have an ethical clothing range, as you can see from from. Uh, you wear it well. Yeah, and what we do is is we've chosen uh, a partner called Tmail. Uh, Tmail use you know ethical sourced organic cotton, renewable energy, no fast fashion. They we we don't have a stock and an inventory of these products. It's right. when you order from our store, then it's made. That's right. the way the world should really be. Yes. Only when you order it should you consume the energy, the effort, the resources to make it. And what's amazing about this partner is after I'm finished with this T-shirt, I can give it in a charity shop, I can give it to someone else, or I can send it back to them, and they will remill it, the colour. So it's a bit like touching circular economy fashion. Yeah. Yes, it um, is. So we, we've got this product line of clothing and this app, and, and really, it's all about trying to increase the message just now. Our short-term focus is how do we attract people to the message? How do we get them involved? How do we get, begin to educate kids on this? And we're not the only ones doing stuff like this, but, but we really wanted to do something more than just fundraise. Yeah. And, and so far, we're, we're small, we're early, but we have made contributions to four main animal conservation type charities. So we're seeing some positive steps already, which is encouraging. Are you able to say what the charities are? Yeah, I mean, we, we there's so many good charities and even- How do you, how do you pick them? I, I know this, This we, we really debated about this. And the more you bring in early, the less amount of money you can give. So, so, so we did something really simple, practical, as we say. And myself and one of the other, uh, myself and my wife, the other founder, we got a choice each. And we had a really good digital tech team and we gave them two votes. Right. Um, and they voted for the RSPB. Right. Cool. And WWF. Right. Now, we were like, okay, they're yeah. big charities. But big, anyway, big, yeah. that's what they wanted. Um. We donated to IUCN because that's where they're doing so much work to try and really understand the, what's really going on with threat. Uh, sorry, what's really going on with species that are threatened by extinction. I'm not familiar with the IUCN. What's what's that? Um, it's the International. Oh, here we go. I always call them IUCN, and I can never remember exactly <laughs> what it is. The International. Union for Conservation of Nature. That's it. Brilliant. Well okay. remembered. Um, so, so, and they've got a red list. If you, if you, if you Google IUCN red list, you will literally see all the information on all these endangered species, where they live, the habitats. It's quite sobering, and we wanted to. Just to send kids there would, would be a little bit too much. It's a bit too, yeah. you know, it's got all the Latin names, uh, the, the official names and stuff. So we wanted to take, we wanted to take some of the less known creatures out there um, um, and put them into this game format to try and, yep. and do it. So that we, we felt we needed to contribute to that. Um, and then the other one is Orangutan Appeal UK, which is the one that we really started helping away back when we were living yeah. in Borneo. Um, and, and I have to say that 
we, we had no qualms about making them one of the four because when you stand face to face with a, a mature male orangutan um, and you look in their eyes. Um, There's wisdom there, right? Oh yeah, it, it's yeah. frightening how connected you actually feel when you when you get that chance. Um, and what we do as a human species, a uh, human race to species like this, just doesn't make sense. Um, no. So we felt nope, that's that has to be one in the four. And right. we would love to, we would love to go. You know, our our final place is our community of users will vote in the minute on where to put donation uh-huh. surplus we, we want to get to that but again it's, it's it's a bit far off that one so for that um we need we need well you need you need users and you need to grow this community how can we join up with this community where do we go what do we do i guess the clue is in your name on zoom here right Quite clever, isn't it? yeah it's very clever <laughs> well done well done good advertising so is that is that where you want us to go extinct.org yeah i think i think that's the starting point there is a landing page there that has it information on the game and information on the clothing range um if you've got if any of the people listening you're looking for something to do with your kids age 6 to 12 over the christmas period or beyond and you like collecting things together go to the app download it it's free you can start your collection for free get involved in the community um if it's a matter of well we're not really into gaming or collecting go and have a look at the clothing yeah. Most people wear clothing. Most people. Um, and there's some amazing designs in there um, from our volunteers and also a couple of creative social enterprises uh, that I've worked with who helped us with the original design. So we would love you to go and buy some of these products, give them to your family um, and friends, talk about the message, get people involved. Yeah, that's that's what we could do. I think it's absolutely brilliant. I think it's absolutely wonderful. And if there's if there's ever a cause worth getting behind, it's something like this, right? It's something. So what you're offering is not just give us some cash and we'll do some good. You know, it's it's join in with us in a community. We can learn. Our kids can learn. And I love what is it you say about mobilizing the or the the next generation? What is it your phrase? So, so the mission is to mobilize the next generation of animal protectors. Oh man, and we've been. You know, we've, we've been toiling with this because, because interestingly, is it just animals? You know, you, you could argue that biodiversity is, is wider than animals. Plant species are just as under threat. But you have to start somewhere. So we, we kind of kept it as animal protectors. I love and it. Absolutely love it. That goes. So, yeah, I think it's just fantastic. And, you know, extincts.org. Head along, as you say, if you want something interesting to get the kids involved with over Christmas when they're when they're bored with all their we're bored with all their toys, <laughs> get in and do something, uh, something interesting and, and really worthwhile for the planet and for, for animals. Listen, I definitely do not want to dilute the message um of what you're talking about, but I'd like you to give a bit of a shout, a shout out, just a 30-second shout out for other things that you're involved in that are fairly high priority. So impact Tara and Sporty, is it? Yeah, so so um and not like everything we do for extincts is 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 for free. It's it's yeah. not we we don't take salaries. It's it's a group, a coalition of the willing in terms of volunteers. We call it brilliant. Um, 
so so my day job alongside Extinct's moving it along is is a consultancy firm called Impactera Limited. And what what I've done is I've I've taken the core of what I used to do during um, the eighteen year career corporate. And what I'm trying to do is say, how do I give these techniques? How do I build that internal capability in social enterprises and charities? Because most of them do not have the time skills or financial resources that the large organizations do when I help them. So how do I do that? And I'm in the transition of making that. So I do have I do have some work with Impactor of which is still based in large companies. Right. But we use the surplus of that fund to fund pay it forward for social enterprises and pro bono work for charities. And, it, and we're, we're even earlier with that one. Um, but yeah, we've got some good partnerships already. Uh, one of the companies you know, Practical Business Improvements, we, we yep. do, we have a, an impact arm with them. Um, I do some work with them as well on a corporate level uh, and SME level. So good partnership there. Outside of that, pro bono, I'm a mentor to um, Sported. So Sported is a, a charity for sports clubs. Um, again, usually run by amazing people who are interested in the sport, but maybe sometimes lack the business acumen governance side. So I help them think through some of that. I help, I think, a couple of boxing clubs and a, a famous Glasgow football club um, so far. We were I won't go into the details of that, but yeah. Um, split, how to split your audience in one. No, it's, <laughs> luckily it's not professional football. This is right. amateur charity. Right. Uh, okay. um, <laughs> you know, just amazing people trying to do amazing things and just need a little bit of help. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on the board of a charity, a local community transport charity, because I just wanted that mixture. Um, and... and so it's busy, but it's now when you talk about purpose, my purpose is still, I still find myself thinking about, I'm still discovering my purpose, yeah. being involved in these things. And as long as I'm enjoying it and seeing the positive impact uh, for others or in, in, in general for, for, the, for Earth and nature in general, and I'll keep doing them. What a beautiful place to finish. Uh, we've come full circle because we, we started speaking about finding your purpose and finding your sort of groove in the world. Um, listen, we wish you all the support in the world. Um, we're going to put up links to Extincts and all that on the little bit of blurb to this. Um, I think it'd be lovely to, to, if it's okay with you, with permission to maybe come back six months or so next year, see where, see where you are on this yeah, amazing I'm, journey. I'm up for that. If nothing has moved in the next six months, I might delay you by six months. But <laughs> <laughs> we'll cross that. We'll cross that beautiful bridge when we come to it. Um, no, it's an absolute pleasure to have spent some time with you. And uh, if this can get, you know, one or two people to even visit your website, it's it's been a good it's been a good thing to do. But I suspect there's going to be a little bit more. So um, so thank you so much for spending some time with us, Jerry. And uh, we wish you all the best in what you do. Thank you very much, Eric. It's been a pleasure, and I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much. We'll see you soon. Cheers. Bye bye. <laughs>